0: You just have to be in it for the kids. I think that's more important than any amount of expertise that you bring because you know, at the end of the day, if you're coaching high school sports, um, you're not in it for the money. You can't be in it for the money because there ain't any money and no money there. I think first and foremost, if you're gonna be a coach of any sort, um, you gotta be doing it for the right reasons that's like the lowest hanging fruit possible It's like is the kid sprinting three times a week if the answer is no that's where you start
1: hey everybody welcome back to the high school coaches club i'm your host max price And as always, I am truly thrilled to have you aboard for another edition of the show. For those of you listening to this within the first few days of release, I hope you enjoyed the High School Coaches Club chat we held on Twitter this past Tuesday. We'll have our third chat this upcoming Tuesday, August 17th. And I also hope you found something helpful in the newsletter that hit inboxes on Wednesday morning. For those who haven't taken advantage of either resource yet, here's your sign. Head on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to get started. And with that, Welcome in to episode number 42. Today's guest is a dude I met when he held a virtual speed clinic during the pandemic. Shortly after that, he was named the head track and field coach at Kalamazoo Central High School in Michigan. His name is Tyler Germain, and he's preparing to enter year number two at the helm. He has a ton to offer here from sprinting specific work you can utilize with your athletes, to how he plans to grow his team's numbers and performance, to the transition from being an assistant coach to head coach in a very short time frame, I should say, and so much more. Thanks to Tyler for jumping on the line and to you for tuning in. And a huge thank you to Will and the gang over at Netting Pros for sponsoring the High School Coaches Club. They've been a loyal podcast and newsletter sponsor for quite a long time now, and I love having them aboard, especially as they're also sponsoring the High School Coaches Club chats that we're holding over on Twitter. In addition to the design aspect of facility improvement, netting professionals specialize in the fabrication and installation of custom netting, digital graphic wall padding, windscreen turf, turf protectors, benches, cubbies, and so much more. Obviously, baseball and softball are huge markets for netting pros, but they have customers in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field golf courses, and just about any sport you can imagine. They are truly making facilities better all across the country, providing high-quality products and services to recreational, college, professional, and of course, high school facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout the country. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking them out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. They are amazing, and they're improving programs one facility at a time. All right, let's do it. Let's dive in. It's episode number 42 with Tyler Germain. Uh, Tyler, thank you for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for
0: having me. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. First thought that comes to mind when I think of you and, and speed training, everything that goes into it uh, is, is something I want to ask you. And it's uh, What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear somebody uh, trying to use speed ladders and attempt to get faster?
0: <laughs> uh, man, boy, uh, wh- what is the rating on this show? Is this like a mature audiences only? Oh, no, yeah, this, just, is,
1: this is adults. No, I,
0: I'm it. just kidding. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, it's, it's kind of silly um, to put it mildly, but you know, I, I think, I don't think that you should throw them out. I don't think you should throw them into the garbage necessarily. I just don't think that you're, uh, that you're right. If you're telling kids or athletes that this is going to make you faster. I think for maybe like for youth athletes, it can be uh, a tool that can be used to build like some coordination. I think that it's reasonable. If you said you wanted to make it kind of part of like, your warm up routine or something like that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't bat too many eyes at at something like that. But um, you know, when you start seeing somebody uh, say that they're that they're speed training, and the only thing that you see, or the vast majority of the things that you see, are people tap dap, tap dancing through uh, agility ladders on the ground. You're not speed training because you're not going anywhere. You know, speed is all about the force you can put into the ground in the quickest amount of time in order to, to, to cover ground and to go somewhere. And if you're just, you know, uh, moving your feet in and out of some squares really, really fast, you know, you can probably make it on dancing with the stars, but you probably won't make <laughs> it on uh probably won't go too fast on the field or in, the, in your sport.
1: Well, yeah, yeah, like we've got the Summer Olympics starting up. And, you know, when you watch the sprinters, their sprint, like they're just so incredibly explosive. And they're a lot of times their legs are, are really massive. Like they're these are explosive tree trunks. athletes, And then you you imagine them in the space of a speed ladder. And it's like, well, there's just no way that you could. I don't know. You, you just can't create that force within such a small space.
0: Yeah. And it's too bad because I remember doing those uh, like in high school. Oh, and yeah, we had never done, you know, at that time. We had never done like we had never done speed training before. This was my football team. Uh, you know, we had we had a new coach and he came in and our program had been historically horrible. And we were in a, a league with a, a lot of faster teams that were just faster than we were. And he identified like we got to get faster. Um, and so we did, quote unquote, speed training. Um, and a lot of it was good. Uh, some of it wasn't. Uh, but that was one of the things that we did and I always enjoyed it. I was pretty good at it. Uh, I was reasonably coordinated for a, a gangly tall skinny kid, um, at that time. And, uh, and it was fun. I liked it, but kids don't know necessarily like what, what is going to make them faster. You know, they are prone to believe what their coach is going to tell them. Uh, and so hopefully if you're coaching, you're, um, I guess, well-educated enough or well-versed enough in the things that will actually uh, create speed uh, and that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, I think as, as coaches, you got to know. If you're, if you're telling kids this is going to make you faster, then it needs to be something that's going to make you faster. If you're going to use speed ladders or agility ladders or whatever you want to call them, um, you know, use them if you want to, but don't use them under the guise of this is going to make you more explosive or more powerful or faster.
1: Yeah, and that's one of the big things that I want to get into at some point, a little bit deeper in the conversation. It's something I ask, (laughs) people probably get tired of it, but anytime I have a track and field guy on, I almost always kind of end up in this conversation about sprinting because I think it's really important for coaches of any sport, if you can do stuff to help your players get faster, like... pretty much regardless of sport we're going to get better and you're going to put your athletes in a better position to be to be better athletes basically so i want to get into speed training a little bit deeper um a little bit later but first you, you mentioned you played football in high school can you kind of take us back to your high school days where did you go to high school what other sports did you play what was your experience like
0: yeah uh well i grew up in a town called bay city michigan which is not a real big town um two high schools. Um, my high, I went to Bay City Western high school, uh, which we had, I think we had around like 12 or 1300 kids in our high school. Um, and I played football for all four years that I was in high school. Uh, I played basketball my freshman and sophomore year and I ran track my sophomore through senior year. Um, so yeah, I was pretty involved in sports like year round. Uh, you know, doing stuff in the summertime for football or basketball camps. Or you know, when I was younger, I played in some like tra- like travel basketball type leagues. Um, and then once I was no longer playing basketball, it was pretty much uh, in the wintertime. I would get right into doing indoor stuff for track and field and all that kind of stuff. So um, I've I've been involved with sports really, you know, for my whole life. Um, and it was, it's been, you know, a pretty formative part of my life, right? Cause here I am still uh, now coaching, coaching sports that I participated in when I was in high school. And, um, I feel thankful that I, that I had pretty good coaches, uh, you know, when I was, when I was younger, cause I think that, um, that can obviously make a huge difference, right? If, if I'd probably be talking about a different experience, if I had coaches that were, that were jerks or that were abusive, borderline abusive, or, you know, that were just not very good. Um, but we had some success in the programs that I was involved in. We had good coaches, uh, who I think were good, positive role models. Um, and the reason I got into coaching is because of one of my coaches, um, my high school track and field coach, uh, Mike Nesbitt, who's awesome. Um, When I graduated, the assistant on our staff who had been coaching hurdlers, which was my main event, um, he he moved away, and so our head coach asked after I graduated high school if I'd be willing to come back just on a volunteer basis and just help out our hurdlers a few times a week. So here I am, uh, eighteen, just you know, eighteen years old, turned nineteen, you know, like a couple weeks into the season. And I'm coming, I was in school uh, and I'm coming like, I think like three times a week at that point um, to coach hurdlers who I was teammates with a year before. Um, And then the following year, uh, another assistant, um, another assistant had, had moved on for whatever reason. I can't remember why. Uh, And there became a paid position available on staff and I was hired on full-time. So, uh, you know, I became, I've been a, basically been a full-time track coach since I was 19. I was part-time when I was 18. And then by the time I turned, you know, was 19, I was on staff uh, as a full-time assistant. And since that time, I've been everything from, you know, a volunteer to an assistant to a head coach. I was a head girls coach down in Illinois. Um, I'm head coach for both our boys and girls programs, uh, at my, in my current position at Kalamazoo Central High School. Um, and I've just kind of done everything, you know, everything in between, um, uh, based on what was needed in the, in the school that I was, that I was in. Cause we've kind of moved around a little bit, um, for different reasons, but, uh, I've, one thing has remained consistent and that is wherever we have landed as a family, I have sought out the track coach and said, what do you need? Um, Because I just can't imagine not being involved with that sport at this point in my life.
1: Well, tracks, obviously, I mean, all sports, you need good assistant coaches, but track to me in my head, I just have this image of, of, you know, what track practices and events are like really, you know, on, on event days. And, needing good assistant coaches, obviously who can be, you know, super in control of their, you know, realm of the team. And, you know, you obviously mentioned you've been to quite a few places and you've, you've been a part of quite a few teams. When you think of like, what, what makes a good assistant coach in the track and field world? What, what is that person like? What do they have? What characteristics do they have?
0: Well, I think, um, I think that regardless of the sport, even, um, you just have to, you have to be in it for the kids. Um, I think that's more important than any amount of expertise that you bring. Uh, because you know, at the end of the day, if you're coaching high school sports, um, you're not in it for the money. You can't be in it for the money cause there ain't any money and no <laughs> money there. Um, if you're in it for yourself or for your own ego or for, you know, I don't, I don't even know what, um, you know, I don't think that's it either, because ultimately, I think that at least for me, I want to give kids the same sort of positive experience that I had through sports, um, and give them something that they can look back on fondly, uh, and something that they can can remember positively. and and maybe they'll be able to pass that on and pay that forward at some point in their lives, or maybe they won't be able to just remember it. So, but I think, you know, that's a long, kind of a long answer to say, I think first and foremost, if you're going to be a coach of any sort um, you got to be doing it for the right reasons. Now, specific to track track is tricky, right? As you alluded to, there are so many events to coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, for me, I've always kind of been like anytime I've joined a staff, I've usually been, they needed somebody to, to coach hurdlers. Um, I think you have to be uh, able to be self-sufficient in the events that you coach, um, but also able to do that within the framework of, of what the head coach envisions for the the program as a whole. Um, So like, for example if i'm i'll use this example because you know i'm i kind of uh kind of in like the sort of feed the cats mindset of uh, sprint training and speed training right so if i was a if i was a hurdle coach in a feed the cats type sprint program and i want to write workouts for my hurdlers that are largely endurance based not a lot of top top speed sprinting and hurdling and that kind of thing right. That's not going to work because that doesn't fit within the framework of what the head coach envisions for the team. And ultimately, you know, not that there can't be dialogue, but ultimately it is the head coach's call. Like, this is how I want the program to run. So I think that, um, you have to be able to be self-sufficient within a framework. Like this is the framework you can operate within or that I'd like you to operate within, go get creative with that. Um, and I think that, you know, to some degree, uh, having, you know, taught in a classroom, um, that translates because sometimes a lot of times it's like, well, here's, here's the curriculum or here's the standards that we need to teach. Now it's up to you to figure out how to get that job done. Right. So, um, and I'm speaking, you know, I'm sure not everybody listening is a, is a high school teacher, but from my own perspective, Mm -hmm. I see those as similar tasks. Like here are the constraints you figure out how to achieve, you know, the highest possible results within these constraints. Um, So I think that that's pretty important. Um, Obviously, we want to have expertise in our areas. Like there are certain events that I I feel like I know enough about most events where I could coach them if I was needed to. But um, I would rather be able to hand that off to somebody and say, like, for example, for me, uh, I I don't I don't want to coach the pole vault. (laughs) <laughs> um, because I, I, I could, I could, and I could, I could continue to learn as, as much as I can about that event. But, um, I don't have experience with having done the pole vault. Um, I haven't coached it a lot and I would much rather be able to say to, to an assistant coach, you know, I, I trust you. You're the expert here. Let's, uh, uh you know, this is, this is yours. This is your kind of program within a program and for that assistant to say, got it, let's do it. Um, and, and so I guess I'm kind of talking both from a head coach and an assistant coach perspective at the same time. But I just, I just think that, you know, being able to be sort of independent in some ways and recognizing that on a track and field team, there are kind of programs within the program, whether it's your throws, whether it's your jumps, your vaults, your sprints, your distance, your hurdles, uh, your relays—even are kind of sometimes a different animal than just your sprint crew, um, and so uh, that that goes a long way for sure.
1: Yeah, it's it's a super robust sport. Like it's it's hard to wrap your mind around if you haven't really been around it or seen it before my wife was a a track coach for a number of years so i've been able to see it at work a little bit and just all the moving pieces is really impressive from a from a baseball coach's standpoint most of our practice we're together as a group but in in track and field a lot of times you're you're obviously working separate things and i i've i've heard uh, i think it might have been a tweet you had actually now that i'm thinking about it but uh that pole vault coaches are surprisingly or maybe not surprisingly but it can be incredibly difficult to find Oh yeah. I've been trying to
0: find one. Um, man, we, uh, we haven't. So when I took over the, the, the program, um, we were, you know, which was not a, we haven't had a great team in a while. Um, which is, uh, been one of the challenges that, because I, I want to, I want to have a great team. I want to have a championship program. Um, because I want our kids and our school to have an opportunity to be part of a championship program. Um, And so one of the areas that uh, that we were lacking in is that I can't remember having a pole vaulter at all um, in the last four years, um, because I was an assistant on staff before I became the head coach. And so to me, you're just giving away those points at every meet you go to, like you're not even going to put a body there. Um, So. Uh, We had a couple kids this year, like that was kind of a top priority for me. We had a couple kids this year who were willing to give it a try, um, which is, you know, which is a big first step because now other kids look around and they at least see pole vault happening at practice. Yeah. They're at least aware of it. Right. And then maybe another kid's like, oh, maybe I would give that a try. And it can, it has the potential to sort of, to, to sort of grow. But if there's nobody even doing it, like we didn't even pull the pole vault mats out until we hosted a meet. Uh, you know, like there's not really even the opportunity for, for curiosity to be peaked there. Um, but so we had a couple of kids that were willing to try it out. Uh, and there's, a a coach at our, um, I guess, I guess you would say cross town rival school. Uh, the kids see it that way. I don't really, um, but who happens to be my neighbor? Uh, and he coaches pole vault and he said, you know, if you got kids that want to, that want to learn about pole vault you know, just, just send them over. I'll help them out. And so I had a couple kids that were going over in the mornings, uh, and vaulting with, uh, with that coach and, and kind of learning the event a little bit. Um, and so that was, that was pretty cool, but, uh, yeah, I, top priority for me was uh, is, continues to be, I need to find somebody who can be a full-time pole vault coach on our staff. Actually, I would even take a part-time pole vault coach on our staff, kind (laughs) of like how I was when I started out. Like, hey, how about if you come coach vaulters two or three times a week? Those vaulters will be with sprinters the other days of the week. uh, And we can just start building something here because um, it's awful hard to have a championship caliber program if you have entire events where you don't have anybody.
1: Yeah, well, it's it's got to be a, a super defeating feeling going into a meet knowing that you're just here's you know again comparing it to baseball, be like okay, the first inning we're just gonna spot the other team you know three runs and then we'll just see what happens from there on out. Like I can't imagine that. One of the things you kind of glossed over that is a huge point that you just made and one of the like coolest things I've ever heard. You're you know, we, we in, in high school sports, especially with kids, they do see the other teams as these huge rivals and we've got to beat them. And, you know, there's there's something just <laughs> innately yeah. evil about the other team because they're the other team. But you're like, that's a really cool thing to be able to not only have a relationship with a coach like that, but to be willing to let egos go aside. And it doesn't really matter what, you know, what school a kid happens to live within the boundaries of, but to just help kids be better that's a really cool thing. Like seriously.
0: Yeah. I, I think so too. I think it's important to have those things. I mean, we're at the end of the day, we're one town we're one city we're one community. Um, and whether you live on, you know, the North side of town or the South side of town or whatever, um, you know, these kids all know each other. A lot of them know each other. Um, because they've been either playing sports against each other since they were little, or, you know, maybe I used to live over there and now I live over here and that, you know, that kind of thing. But, um, you know, my, my, we, I live within the boundaries of the quote unquote rival school. So my oldest son, my oldest son goes to school there. Uh, and, and I obviously coach at central. Um, but it's like, uh, I started doing this, the summer speed, uh, training this summer. Um, and I, I let that coach know, same deal. Like, Hey, you know, if you have kids that want to just come out and sprint, know i'm happy like i'll coach anybody i don't care who you are if you're if you want to get faster uh and you want to learn the tools that you can then take with you to try and get faster even if you don't come work with me hopefully you learn something that you can then apply i don't care where you go to school uh because if if you're willing to put in the time um to to try to better your craft as a as a student athlete then i'm happy to help you do that you know i don't care what what side of town you live on
1: yeah, it's really awesome. If, if, if we could all drop our egos and be able to do that, I think we'd be doing a huge service to kids. Um, you mentioned you were, you were an assistant for three years. You're at Kalamazoo Central. Uh, you took over the head coaching role this past year. So we're four years in, plus one, you know, in addition to the one, you're, sorry, you're four years in, including one year as the head coach now. So we're heading into our fifth year, uh, for people like me who know nothing about Kalamazoo central, other than it's got a cool name. Can you kind of run through like, (laughs) what's the school, what's the school like, what's the community like, where is it for people listening? Just kind of an overview of the school and community.
0: Yeah. Uh, there really is a town called Kalamazoo. Um, (laughs) and it's, and it's in Southwest Michigan. Um, about, I don't know, if you were to drive straight South, uh, you're like an hour away from South Bend, Indiana. Um, we're basically uh, basically the halfway point between Chicago and Detroit. Um, so that kind of gives you, if you're a, a geographically minded person, that kind of gives you an idea of where we're at. But yeah, Southwest Michigan, um, I would say a, a mid-sized city. Uh, I mean, we're one of, one of the bigger cities in Michigan, but not a big city by any means. Um It's uh, it's a super like it's a crazy diverse district, like just to give you an example. So we have like, I think, 45 different languages spoken in our district by our students. Um, So it's that's kind of wild and a lot of fun to be around. Like sometimes I'll just look out at my classroom and be like, man, this is awesome. Like there's just like, we got kids speaking Spanish over here to each other and then like code switching and talking to, you know, because they're working on a project with, you know, with kids that don't speak Spanish or what, you know, it's like, uh, and, um, that's just one example, but I mean, it's just really cool. uh, A really cool environment. I, I absolutely love it at Kalamazoo central. Um, we are a pretty high poverty school district. Um, we are considered an urban, uh, an urban school district for sure. Um, and, uh, so with that comes some challenges, right? Like we don't have, we oftentimes travel to schools to compete that have, uh, you know, way nicer facilities than we have, um, and, and way more resources than we have. And, um, you know, when we host, uh, track meets, sometimes it's hard to get enough people to, uh, to make those happen, uh, effectively and efficiently. Um, so there are certainly some challenges, uh, Kids don't always have the things that they need to be able to um, to be able to participate. You know, I've got a big old box of running shoes and track spikes and things like that just on hand for if there's ever a kid that needs something. Um, Whether they ask or not, like I had a boy this year who I just noticed, you know, he didn't have he didn't have spikes in the first couple meets at all. I'm like, hey, man, you're going to get some spikes And Yeah, I'm going to get some this week no spikes and it was like finally I just asked him like hey what what size shoes do you wear and he told me and i went and looked and sure enough i had a, a pair of spikes that were the right size for him i said here you go man i just didn't make a big deal about it i just brought him to practice the next day i said hey i got a pair of spikes for you so now you don't have to worry about going out and trying to find any so um and i don't know if it was if it was money or if it, you know he takes the city bus to practice i don't know if it's just a transportation thing or a money thing or, or what but it doesn't matter. Now he's got him, you know, but those are some of the challenges, uh, that, that we face sometimes. But, um, you know, it's a really, it's a really awesome, uh, it's a really awesome community. I really, really like this city. I've felt, um, more at home here, uh, at the school than any other school that I've worked at for sure. Um, for the last, you know, this will be my, think i'm entering year i'm entering year 12 or 13 of teaching i'd have to count it all up but um, and i've been at uh one two three i've been in four different school districts and this is this is the one for me i don't if i ever am not teaching at cal in kalamazoo would, it's because i'm not teaching anymore <laughs> um so uh but yeah it's a it's a really cool place
1: yeah it, it must be a place you like because uh, you there's I don't know how many people are knocking on the door wanting to, in the middle of a pandemic, take over as a head coach because, obviously, especially being an assistant, you, you know, we've we've all seen the challenges that came along with trying to coach and teach and go through everything that we've gone through in education and in high school coaching over the last year plus. Um, but you you became the head coach at Kalamazoo Central and and you're now heading into year two, obviously in that role. What, what has that transition been like for you, especially in the middle of what we were all going through?
0: Yeah. Cause you're a high school teacher too, right?
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: English. Yeah. Same here. Um, hey, nice. yeah, nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it was weird, obviously. Uh, I think every, every teacher coach this year would, uh, speak to differing or, or to different levels of weirdness, right? It's definitely, it was definitely weird, no matter what, it's just how weird kind of depends on <laughs> yeah. where, where you are in the country and uh, what your school district did and, you know, that kind of thing. But um, so our district, for example, uh, we remained virtual for the entire school year. I was never in a, I was never in a classroom this year. Um, so when you take a, Uh, When you take a school where they're, well, for example, as I pointed out earlier, right, some kids struggle with transportation, just getting rides to practice. Um, And you take those kids and take them out of the school building. uh, And now they have to get to practice from home at, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon when there may or may not be somebody to drive them there. That's very different than a kid who, who got to school in the morning and he's at school all day and now it's track practice right after school and then all they have to do is worry about getting home. Um so we had you know we had kids that didn't come out at all this year, either because their parents didn't want them to, because they were worried about uh you know, they were worried about the the COVID numbers and being around that many kids, which I totally get. Uh, or we had kids that, you know, they for whatever reason weren't able to get a ride or maybe they had younger siblings at home that they had to, to, to look after. And, and that took precedent for them. Um, but we still managed to get, um, boys and girls combined, uh, between 65 and 70 kids out this year with all those things considered, which is not, uh, this is not where I want to be by any means. And we have 1700 kids in our school, so we should never have less than a hundred kids out for the track team. Um, and that's uh, a pretty big priority for me is um, growing our numbers uh, in our school because a school of our size should have uh, a track team that is, um, you know, that reflects the size of our school, not a, a tiny little track team for a, a giant student body. But, um, you know, to have 65 or 70 kids in the middle of a pandemic uh, where they aren't even in school um was I felt like was actually pretty good because our numbers the year prior weren't much bigger than that in a regular school year, it just, you know. Um, which is uh, so so I, you know, that was a weird challenge. Um, it was also uh, I took over very, very um, on very short notice.
1: Yeah, you did. Um, that.
0: Our our head coach, um, he's an older guy. And his wife was having some health problems, and he had had a, a surgery, um, I don't know, like in the fall or the winter, and he's still kind of recovering from that. And he just decided, you know, with with all this going on and with, with COVID going on, that uh, it was time for him to step away. Um, but he didn't make that decision until like a week or two before the season was scheduled to start. Um, and, uh, so I've been, you know, I was chomping at the bit, obviously. I mean, I was, I felt bad for the guy. Uh, and I do, I still do because I know that he in a different set of circumstances, he probably would not have retired or resigned. You know, if everything had just kind of continued on as, as normal, um, he probably would still be, uh, he probably would still be coaching. Um, uh, but at the same time, you know, I, I really wanted to, to take the head coaching position. Um, so it, it's, I guess, you know, unfortunate that I, I guess I sort of, I don't know, sort of, uh, jumbling my words a little bit right now, but I guess ultimately I wish that he had been able to sort of step away on his own terms and not feel like his hands had been forced. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um. But so, but you know, that's, that's the way that it unfolded. And so I took over, but, uh, that was not a seamless transition either because two of our other assistants on staff also applied for the head coaching position. Um, so was myself and, uh, our jumps coach and our distance coach, all three of us expressed interest in the head coaching role. And so we all three had to interview with AD and the principal and ultimately, uh, I was hired. So then there was that to navigate like, um, you know, I know all three of us wanted this job, <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs>
0: I, but, I, but I got it. I got the job, guys. Um, so, and everybody was, I mean, it, everybody was really cool. Uh, it, it was, I have no complaints at all. Uh, and both the other two guys, it, there, there did not appear to be any sort of like hard feelings or animosity or uh, resentment over the fact that they were not selected. They were awesome assistants um, this year. Uh, But all of those things, just kind of the transition into the role were sort of sort of weird. Uh, And then uh, to make matters even more interesting, we were scheduled to start all, all schools in Michigan started their spring sports. I don't know. It ended up being slightly later than usual, like a week or two later than usual. But, you know, we were just happy to have a season. Uh, But then in our particular district, we had a significant number of winter sport athletes who had tested positive for COVID, like right near the end of the winter sports season. Mm -hmm. And so our district made the decision because it was going to work out where we were going to have like one week of practice and then it was going to be spring break. So our district made the decision just to hold all spring sports until after spring break. So we didn't even start practice until April 5th. And so for, for most kids, our season was like six weeks because between the, the first day of practice and the date of the regional meet, it came out to be about six weeks. Uh, we had four days of practice before our first meet. Um, (laughs) No, (laughs) Yeah. We were super prepared. (laughs) Uh, yeah, but yeah, so this, this season has just kind of, was kind of all about, uh, it was all about just getting through and just trying to um, not take it for granted because we saw that anything can, can go away really, really fast. You know, having had our whole season canceled the year before, having had this season kind of pushed back and pushed back um, and having seen other sports earlier in the school year uh, take pauses, um, you know, it's like this can all go away at any second. So uh, it was all about, you know, trying to, um, overcome the obstacles that were there and make the most of the days that we have, because we didn't know how many we were going to have. Um, and hopefully start sort of uh, casting the vision of, of the future uh, of the program and what that's going to look like.
1: Well, you, you talked about, you know, growing the numbers and, and, you know, for, we you know, tons of reasons that kids might not have come out this year, like we talked about, but as we head into 21, and we hope to have a, a pretty normal ish school year and hopefully, you know, full sports seasons over here, our, our seasons were all six weeks long, you know, and so everything was pushed back and kind of weird. And obviously, um, so t- trying to grow numbers, and, and as the program moves forward and trying to, you know, collect more people from the student body to be part of the track program and make it as big as we kind of want it to be. What's your strategy? Like, how, what are you going to do uh, in the coming months to try to attract more kids to come out for track and field next spring?
0: Yeah. Well, so, um, I have a lot of things and I realized after when you started to ask that question, I was like, Oh, actually he asked me about, uh, about transitioning into year two. And I just talked about how weird year one was, but, um, I think I'm still kind of unpacking a lot of that first (laughs) season. Uh, (laughs) But, um, so one of the things that we started doing is, uh, is hosting speed training three times a week in the mornings, uh, for athletes of all sports. Um, and because truly, and I talked about this on, uh, on another podcast that was on recently, but, you know, obviously priority number one for me is, is a track and field program, but ultimately if I can help any athlete in our school become faster and more athletic and and ultimately that helps them to become better at the sport that, that they love, then that's great. And I can have then great working relationships with the other coaches in the building. Um, like those are all, those are all wins for me. So, um, I've opened that up to all athletes of all sports, um, and of all ages. Uh, we've had young kids come middle schooler kids come who are just chomping at the bit because middle school sports were, were canceled. Uh, and they just like, haven't done anything, you know, A lot of soccer players, boys and girls, basketball players, some track kids, you know. So that's been pretty cool. Uh, And that's that's one thing that I plan to continue going into school and basically year round is to do speed training for all athletes of all sports who are not currently in season um, and just offer that three times a week, year round, basically like. Hey, you're not, you know, maybe you're a basketball player who doesn't play a fall sport. Uh, Oh, you go to open gyms a couple times a week. Well, you want to come, you know, you want to come do some, some sprint training and some jump training and things like that. Yeah, sure. Cool. Uh, or, or whatever the case may be, you know, like, um, but just to offer that and make kids aware of it. Um, I think just being the head coach in the building will make a big difference in terms of growing the numbers because I'm. I'm not really the type of teacher who like hides out in my classroom. I'm always in the hallways talking to kids. Um, and you know, whether I have them in class or not, I'll just, you know, kids I see in the hallway, joke around with them, whatever, make those connections. And, um, you know, you can invite kids to, maybe who hadn't considered coming out for track before to, to think about it and plant that seed a lot more easily when you're in the building. I'm the only coach in the building. Um, by the way, our other, none of our other assistants, um, are, are in the building, which is another thing I'd like to change. Um, we're down some bodies. We only had four coaches on staff this year, excuse me, five coaches on staff this year, but we had seven previously. So I would love it if our new pole vault coach, which we're definitely going to get, uh, (laughs) was also a teacher in the building. Um, So kind of seeking out like who are the people in this in who are the teachers in this school who know track and field uh, or even if they don't necessarily know a ton about track and field who are good at making connections with kids and, um, you know, have an interest in doing it. That would be a a big factor, I think, in growing the program, Um, working with other coaches uh, is, I think, important, you know, I our we got we recently hired a new football coach and he is a former track coach uh and so i think that that's going to be good for us um, Mm -hmm. to have to have a football coach who understands the value of track and field and maybe can encourage kids to go out um that will be helpful um but you know i want to talk with like i want to go to our and i I know our soccer coach pretty well for example so i'll just use that as an example but i want to be able to say like hey End of your season, can I get ten minutes to come and talk to your guys and tell them kind of what we do and and try and encourage them to come out for track if they're not doing something else in the spring and just kind of you know promote it that way. I think that would be pretty cool. Uh, But to kind of circle, you know, those are all like almost promotional, I guess. But I think to sort of circle back to the year-round speed training, um, I think that that's going to be the biggest ticket for me because what i think it will do is sort of give kids a chance to be introduced to track and field without committing to going out for track and field so like if they can come to some speed training sessions in the fall for example and get to know me and see how we do things and have a chance to just sort of test the waters a little bit and then i can say you know well this is, you know, if you're a sprinter, this is a perfect example of what we might do on like a Monday uh, at track practice, because I think a lot of kids just think if they go out for track, they're just going to run and run, run and run and run and, run and, run and, run and be miserable. <laughs> that's what I always thought. <laughs> they're going to be miserable and they're going to wish that they never went out for track. Um, so there's a certain amount of like uh, debunking that myth that has to happen um, and teaching kids that that's that's not what we do. Um if you're if you're a sprinter, a jumper, a hurdler, or a thrower, that's not what we do. If you're one of those crazy distance kids, I don't know. I can't really speak to that. Um, <laughs> you probably are going to run and run and run and run and run. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> but we actually have I mean, we have a pretty solid cross country and distance program. That I'm not super worried about about getting those kids out because those kids those kids do come out. Um, our, my biggest challenge or the thing that I, well, I want to grow the most is we have uh we have sprinters jumpers hurdlers explosive type athletic kids both boys and girls who have not come out for track before um and you know the vast majority of your events in a track meet are sprints jumps hurdles they're explosive events you know there's only a, there's only the two mile the mile the 800 and the four by eight, like those are your only distance events. Everything else is explosive in nature. Um, and we haven't always gotten the explosive kids to come out. So, um, I think just by making that program attractive to the types of kids that you want to, to come out, um, and introducing them to it and giving them a chance to kind of try it out in a low stakes environment where they're not committing to being on the team. They're just, you know, they're just giving it a try, uh, and and seeing what they think um i think that that can really go a long way
1: yeah it seems like such a a smart idea not only are you helping kids get better at whatever sport they want to be good at but you're also introducing them to you they're getting to know you they're getting to know other kids who are probably going to be going out for track. Because i assume there'll be some track kids that go to this the speed training also so they're building sure. relationships with you and with with people who are already involved in track and field. And then obviously, um, hopefully as they get better, they're starting to see that, oh, maybe this is something I could be good at. Maybe this is something that would be fun. Like you mentioned, like when I think of track, especially in high school, I'm going to run. No, thanks. Like there's no chance I'm going to go go to that. Like it's just not going to happen. That's uh, the so number I think kind of one. Picking that barrier uh, down is a huge deal.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the number one thing. Like if I talk to a kid who hasn't done track before, like, hey, have you ever thought about coming up for, for track team? I'm like, man, I don't like all that running. Like that's the number one thing that they say to me. And so that's which, uh, at least I know where they're coming from. And now I know like the, like the angle, like, well, actually, you know, we don't do a lot of that, which they kind of look at me like, what? Like, yeah, no, (laughs) if you're like, if you're a sprinter or a jumper or a hurdler or a thrower, um, that's not something that we're going to do. Like we're going to, we're going to sprint fast Uh, and we're going to do, you know, explosive type stuff, but I'm not going to have you like go jog some laps, um, because that's not really useful to you as an athlete in track and field. And it's not probably that useful to you for whatever is your primary sport. Like if I'm a basketball player that can jump through the roof, uh, the idea of going and running like repeat 400s probably doesn't sound all that appealing, but if I can say, Hey, yeah, we're going to run some sprints that are probably not going to be much longer than like 60 meters most of the time um and we're going to do things that are going to improve your bounce and and your power uh and that's going to help you you know on on the basketball court or on the football field or a soccer field or uh, on the volleyball court or whatever um they then they might start to see the appeal of that and i actually had two kids come out this year for the first time ever um had never done track before uh, and one of them was a football player and a basketball player. Actually, they both are football and basketball. Um, and I met them last summer for the first time because I was helping out our football team, just doing speed, just doing speed training with our football players. And I saw some of these kids and I'm like, Hey man, you ever thought about track? And we went through the whole script. Uh, well, I don't like all that running and Well, actually, um, <laughs> uh, and then they were playing basketball and, um, I was, you know, I would come and, and work at the basketball games and help our athletic director out and that kind of thing and just keep talking, just keep building that relationship. Well, they both come out for track. Uh, one kid steps out onto the track, long jump, first time ever, long jumps 20 feet 7 inches, uh, and he's never done track before. Um, and that was his first time ever doing long jump. He long, long jumps 20 feet 7 inches, which is pretty good um, to give some perspective there. In Michigan, the automatic qualifier to make it to the state meet this year was 21 feet, two inches. So he, in his first ever jump, he was seven inches shy of state qualifying, Hmm. um, which is like a shoe, not even a shoe length. Uh, and then the other kid comes out and he immediately is one of our top sprinters. He runs on our four by one and our four by two relay team, uh, our four by two makes it to state. And -hmm. these are kids that have never done track before and probably wouldn't have done track before if, somebody hadn't explained to them what it is, what it is not, and invited them to to join um, the long jumper, I was talking to him after a meet. And he literally said that to me, he's like, man, if you hadn't talked to me after the basketball game that day, I probably wouldn't even be here. And I was like, Well, you know, that made me feel good. Because here's a kid who found something that he's pretty good at it that he didn't even know he was good at. Yeah, uh, And and if he wants to, you know, he can probably long jump in college somewhere. You know, if you're a, if you're a 20 plus or 21 foot long jumper, you know, you might not be able to go to D1 school necessarily. But if you're if you're a high school long jumper that can long jump 21 feet, there are plenty of schools that will take that kid uh, if he wants to. So um, it not only maybe uh, gave him an opportunity to, to do something that he excels at in high school, but may have who knows, it may have opened an open another door for him after high school, too.
1: I think that's one of the more beautiful things about track and field. So like as a baseball coach, especially in high school, you know, by the time you're 14 or 15, if you show up and you can't throw a baseball or you can't swing a bat, like that's pretty much it for you. Like there's, basically, right, there's yeah. you can't really be taught that. Like it's sorry. It's, it just doesn't really work. But one of the really nice things uh, about track and field, I think is that it, gives you so many different options to find something that you might be... Re- and like you're mentioning that you might not even know that you're any good at and all of a sudden you're like you're mentioning I'm my first time doing it I'm seven inches away from being a state qualifier like it just provides an opportunity for kids to find something find a niche that they are really really good at or could be really good at and you can have potential to get even better where in some other sports like like you know specifically baseball there are some just oh, sorry it's not gonna work sort of things that just kind of close the door on kids unfortunately
0: yeah um, well and I think that those those two kids that I spoke to, uh, it's it's also not an anomaly, right? For uh, like there are I, I believe that every school has a good track team. Oh, yeah. um, it's just a question of whether or not they're on the track team. You know what I mean? <laughs> like uh, <laughs> th- like there are there are athletes in most school buildings. Um, So if you can and some of them know they're athletes and they just don't want to come out for whatever reason. And so then if you want to get them out, it's a it's a conversation about breaking down what it is and what it is not and bringing them out um some kids don't maybe realize that they're as athletic as they are uh which is kind of fun you know they're like oh yeah you know i'm i guess i'm one of the faster kids on the on whatever team or whatever sport that i play but maybe they're not maybe they didn't realize how fast they actually were because they never ran track i remember wait i had a kid we had a kid uh this was a bat it was not bad. It was fine. It, you know, nobody died. But, uh, years and years ago, probably the fastest kid in our entire school was on the baseball team. Um, this was when I was an assistant, uh, in my, in my first coaching gig, fastest kid in the school is on the baseball team. And it's like, man, if we could have found a way not to ever pull the kid away from baseball, if he loves baseball, I'm not in the business of stealing kids from other sports. Um, but man, is there a way that we can work together? Is Mm -hmm. there a way that we can like, this, this kid has a chance to be part of a a very good baseball program. We have, we had a very good baseball program at, at that school. Um, but also has a chance to, you know, maybe make some noise at the conference regional or state level as a track athlete. Um, and you know, we, is there a way that we can work together and maybe give this kid some, some more opportunities to be successful, um, or open some additional doors, um, I can't remember if the kid even, even would have wanted to, but I, I just, there are, there are kids like that, that play, they play other sports or they never, they didn't realize that they were maybe capable of some things because they've never tried it before.
1: Um, Yeah. There's a path to it. We've had a couple of kids in the last few years who uh, played baseball. It's kind of their favorite primary sport, but they also happen to be really fast. And so we would kind of share them with the track team in a sense. They would, They would primarily be at baseball, but they would often leave a half hour early to go uh, to the track and work with the sprints coach and go to track meets and and make it work with two different sports. So, I mean, it's possible. It just requires coaches again, going back to like dropping egos and doing what's best for kids. If the kid if that's something that he wants to do, if he if he loves it, then why get in the way of that?
0: Well, that's a lot easier sell, too, as a track coach, if you have the type of program where you're not just going to destroy kids uh, in terms of like, you know, endless amounts of endurance work uh, or where... You know, like if I if if I have this, if I already have this relationship with let's just keep using baseball as an example, if I already have this relationship with the baseball coach because he's had out of season athletes come into speed training and working with me around the ca- around the calendar um, and he sees the value of uh, of what we're doing and I can explain to him or, or he sees that this is also how we do things on the track and field team and that it's not just endurance, 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 and that he understands that Oh, if I if this kid splits time between baseball and track, it's not going to to take away from his baseball performance. And in some ways, it may actually improve his baseball performance. Then I'm a lot more open and willing and perhaps even eager to to say to that kid. Yeah, well, let's let's make it work. Um, So it's yeah, it's a whole there's a whole big picture at play for sure.
1: What, you know one of the things baseball wise, again, going back to baseball, like we, especially after going to the vir- going the virtual uh, speed clinic that you actually hosted over Zoom a few months ago during the pandemic. Um, you had a couple of baseball guys. Well, you had Matt Telerico in there uh, mm-hmm. who've I've worked with through his, his website for quite a long time already. Then you had Jerry on there who talked about the drop step and it kind of came at the perfect time for me because I was just kind of trying to learn about it. And so I was able to take away some cool things to help our guys get faster. And I think about any sport, you know, obviously we talked about it before, but if you can get faster, more explosive, you're going to be a better athlete regardless of the sport that you're in. So you're, you're talking about doing, you know, speed training with all athletes of all sports throughout the course of the year, who cares, show up, let's get faster together. Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to put you on the spot and have you like, this is a huge question that we could we could talk for you know there's been millions of podcasts done on speed training but so i'll kind of i'll kind of pose it to you a little bit differently for for people who are trying to help their kids get faster who may not know where to start where should they go like what resources should they try to get after like what do you, what would you give that person? Like, Hey, I'm a coach. I know like nothing about sprint training. Uh, I have a speed ladder that I'm thinking about using, uh, where, <laughs> should <I go? laughs> where should I go to start like researching, figuring out what, what I can do to help my kids get faster during the time that I have them.
0: Yeah. I, th- I, yeah, if, I guess if you don't, if you don't even know where to start, that would be pretty, pretty challenging. Um, and you're right. I mean, there are a lot of uh, a lot of great podcasts out there. Um, there are a lot of great resources out there. There's also a lot of bad ones, um, which can be hard to wade through if you don't know anything. Um, I think like there's always good stuff on uh, on Simply Faster. Um, that's a, a blog that I read pretty uh, pretty regularly and that I've contributed to a few times. And um, you know, there's a lot of good coaches sharing a lot of great knowledge on there. I think that that's a, a great place to start, uh, kind of diving in and exploring. But um, I think, you know, for youth athletes, especially, it's important to remember that um, this isn't like it isn't actually rocket science. I mean, when you have like you take a Chris Corfus, for example, who, uh, you know, who worked with David Montgomery from the Bears and you're, you're now you're talking about taking an elite an already elite athlete um, and being so well versed in and uh, in speed and sprint and power that you make that athlete even more elite. That's a very different. Um, type of coaching than I have a 12 a year old kid uh, who wants to get faster um, at that level. It's not rocket science. It's really not. Um, just have them sprint like three times a week as fast as they can. It's like um, and, you know, me- mechanics matter. And if you're if you're able to to teach that stuff and correct some of that stuff, you know, it matters, but that's like the lowest hanging fruit possible. It's like, is the kid sprinting three times a week? If the answer is no, that's where you start. Um, because at that age, uh, you know, s- sometimes they haven't even been exposed to max speed sprinting. And so that is, I think the, the, the most bang for your buck is have a kid, a youth athlete, a young kid um, sprint at least three times a week. Uh, and sprinting means that it's all out, um, that ideally that it's timed if you have the capacity to time it with, uh, whether it's a, a fancy timing system or a stopwatch or a phone, like that's all, that's all good. Um, but if you don't have access to a timer, then, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I'd still rather have you sprint than, than say, well, I'm not going to sprint cause I don't have a way to time it. Um. You know, it's it's just all out as fast as you can go and with enough recovery to be able to do that again. And the recovery piece is really uh, it's the part that gets messed up the most, I think, by youth coaches, because a lot of people are not comfortable with standing around. I mm-hmm. uh, feel like you got to be got to be busy, got to be moving you know, gotta always be on the hop. You know, hustle here, hustle there. Run over to get your water. Run back with your water. It's like if you're if you're constantly moving and constantly running around, and you're never actually recovering. Um, and in order to sprint at your you know maximum output, you have to be fresh enough to do that. Um, and so uh, that that I think is what gets messed up the most. You know, sprint. If you're if the basic rule of thumb is like one minute for every 10 yards of max speed sprinting so that means if i run a 40 yard dash all out then i need to rest for at least four minutes before i do that again and uh, a great experiment is to tell a kid to rest for four or five minutes but not give them a watch and see how long they actually rest Mm -hmm. Um, because they're going (laughs) to rest for about a minute and a half uh, or two minutes because they don't feel winded because they didn't go that far Uh, And they're like, well, if I'm not out of breath, then I'm good to go. And it's like, well, you know, sprinting is not necessarily an out of breath uh, aerobic exercise. It's anaerobic. It's explosive. It's, uh, you know, a central nervous system. It's all these kinds of things. It's so um, enough rest in between sets and enough rest in between days of sprinting because um, more is not necessarily better, right? If you um, if you tell a kid to sprint all out max speed training seven days a week. You're not going to be able to do that for very many weeks before they start to break down. Um, so small doses, um, but, uh, and with enough rest and enough recovery, but, um, for all the resources that are out there, which are great and definitely, you know, simply faster, check out some different, um, check out some different uh, podcasts like the bold based performance P- podcast with uh, Tom Broback, anything that you can listen to if you're just kind of getting into uh, speed training, any podcast that you can listen to where Tony Holler is talking about speed development uh, is great. Um, Chris Corfus is awesome. Um, you know uh, the new, I think JTAers has a new uh, podcast out as well um, called the, I think it's called on track Uh, podcast. Um, Ryan Banta is another pretty good sprint coach uh, and a a friend of mine who um, is doing some stuff. He's had some really awesome kind of heavy hitter guests on. I mean, there's no, you start going down the rabbit hole and you can start finding a lot of great resources. But uh, at the end of the day, if you want to get faster, you have to go fast. And so if you're, whether you're a parent or a coach or a kid or an athlete listening to this um, and you're not already sprinting or training sprinting, regardless of your sport, then you should start sprinting three times a week uh, with enough rest in between sprints and enough time in between days that you can expose yourself to that maximum output. Because even if you never go out for track, it's an incredibly powerful stimulus. Um, You know, you're talking about forces into the ground that can be up to five times a person's body weight and coordinating all of that movement, uh, at top speed without, you know, without coming apart and without, you know, kind of swerving all over the place. Um, you know, there takes a lot of stability. It takes a lot of core strength. It takes a lot of, uh, co- it takes a lot of coordination. Um, and you know, the, f- the first time that you'll, that you do it, you know, if you haven't done it before, uh, you'll, you'll start to see why, um, because you'll feel things that you haven't felt before. Uh, not, not, and you know, never, never that the goal is to like make kids sore, but if you haven't done it before and you, and you go out and you sprint, uh, and you really do a speed session, you'll be like, Oh man, I didn't even know I had muscles there. Um, but that, you know, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty powerful stimulus regardless of your sport.
1: Yeah. I remember back to like my college days as a baseball player and how much time we spent running poles, you know, from Mm. foul pole to foul foul pole. Mm -hmm, And, you know, mm -hmm, you're just, mm -hmm. you're just jogging. And then by your like, you you, you go run 10 poles by your 10th pole, you're essentially just speed walking at that point. And, you know, on the opposite side, now as a coach, I try to be much more careful and much more intentional about if we're going to, if we're going to, speed train, we're going to obviously do it at a quick pace. We're not going to jog anything out. But one of the things you mentioned is so true. And it's, it's almost to the point of hilarity where if you ask a kid, Hey, you know, sprint, you know, 20 yard sprint, then, uh, you know, once you feel fully rested, go again. And the, they'll take like 20 seconds and then they're back in the mm-hmm. sprint again. And it like, mm-hmm. you, you legitimately have to like, especially high school kids, like you have to train them how to rest because they, they, they can't do it. They just, there's something in them. I don't know if it's, they're trying to be real like ego driven or just, they don't understand it. Like, how could we just, you just want me to sit here and relax during practice. Like we should be doing something. Uh, it's a lot to get past, but I mean, it, it, <laughs> they will take 20 seconds and they'll be right back to sprinting again.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I think that it's a, a combination of things. I think one is that uh, high school kids have a short attention span Um, and so if they're standing around for too long, they feel like they need to be doing something. Um, another is that probably from the time that they've been playing sports, you know, as a little kid, uh, they've had probably well-intentioned coaches who, you know, uh, all about on the hop hustle here and there can't be standing around, you know, uh, we got to get right back up and go again. Um, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be tough. We're going to be in shape. We're going to be all these things. Uh, and so they're not used to it and not to get like super philosophical here but i, I think that american culture in general undervalues rest uh mm-hmm. you know in in everyday activities in the in the workforce you know uh, there's like this like if you take a if you take a day off it's like shunned you know in in a lot of professions like i don't know there's just something cultural even almost like it's a very deep seated idea i think uh in in American culture almost that rest is bad and like rest is for the week or something Uh, or rest rest you know, taking a day off uh, shows that you're like not committed or something like that. Um, But, you know, so much growth happens in rest and uh, a lot of times rest is what allows you to perform. Um, So, and if, and if I truly am seeking performance then I have to be okay with that. I have to be okay with a kid standing around for for five or six minutes so that they can perform because ultimately high performance is my goal, not high fatigue or, you know, like uh, whatever else you want to call it, you know, if, and so you have to facilitate, you know, what, what you want to see.
1: I think I think that's so important is the rest part, because as a I know, as a, again, as a baseball coach, um, you know, you can go to a bunch of clinics and listen to a bunch of guys talk and see a bunch of things. And people have this practice plan written down to the to the minute. And it's just busy and guys are running all over the place doing a lot of stuff. And then when you really take a step back and backwards plan and think through what's going to help my guys perform in a game and then try to reverse engineer that, you start to be able to build in that rest time uh, and try to help your athletes become better athletes. And it's just it's kind of this roadblock you kind of have to get over. If you really want to be like you're talking about, if you really want to be performance driven, um, I, I, but before I get you out here, I, I got to make sure I ask this question because I think it's important. Um, you, you brought up the idea of culture. Uh, and so I want to talk just specifically at Kalamazoo Central. Um, I know you took over, you had a really short time frame to take over as well. Um, and creating a culture within that environment can be difficult luckily obviously you'd been there for three years as an assistant coach so you, you kind of knew the kids and everything before that um and i know one of the big things that you have on your website is this mantra that's that says champion mm-hmm. is a mindset and you mentioned earlier one of your big goals at kalamazoo central is to try to create this championship mindset um so just talking on the culture side of things um what does that what does that saying really mean to you and, and how are you trying to build that into kids and into the program well
0: yeah so my my thought behind this idea of champion is a mindset is that champions act like champions before they win a championship you know um I'm sure every uh i'm I'm sure a lot of people watch the uh the last dance like the Michael Jordan documentary that was out you know a year or so ago right oh, yeah. and I'm not sure how old you are um i'm thirty five I grew up you know watching. Michael Jordan, especially on his, especially on his second, uh, go around. I, uh, he was, I was a little young, you know, when he was first coming on the scene, but, um, you know, I was a huge Michael Jordan fan as a, as a kid and rewatching that documentary was, or watching that documentary was like kind of reliving a lot of that. But, uh, and you know, he's pretty extreme case, but, uh, regardless of what you think of, of Jordan, one thing is for sure true. And that is that. He approached everything that he did on the basketball court from uh, f- from the perspective of becoming a champion um, and like a champion and doing what it takes to be a champion far before he became a champion. Or, or I should say far before he won a championship. Um, so it's trying to instill in kids that um, – that it's not the championship necessarily that makes you a champion it's how you approach everything Uh, and so that means um, putting putting your best foot forward in everything that you do Um, whether it's in the classroom whether it's in your relationships whether it's you know on on the track for us specifically so when you step onto the track if you have any desire whatsoever to be a, a championship athlete or a championship program, then you have to approach it like a champion would in order to earn that. It's, it's, uh, it's not, uh, the relationship is not the opposite, right? It's not the championship that makes you a champion. It's behaving like a champion that earns you the championship, um, which, and so that's, that's sort of the mindset is like in everything that we do, we're going to approach it as, uh, as a champion would, which means with focus, with intent, with the level of effort that we desire, which in most cases is maximum output and maximum effort because we're not doing super high volume um, workouts. Um, you know, like if we're only going to run three 60 meter sprints and you're going to have six minutes to recover in between each one is there any reason not to go all out? And, and, uh, there, the answer is no, there's not, uh, even an, even a pretty out of shape person should be able to do that, um, and give the, whatever is the best that they have. And so, um, that's just, that's just kind of the, the idea is like, if you, if this is something that we want as a team and as a program, then we have to start acting like it now. We can't wait for it to happen. Because if we just wait for it to happen to us, then it isn't going to happen. We have to approach it as, uh, as something that we are going to make happen and that we're going to manifest and that every time you step onto the track, it is with the mindset of a champion in doing whatever it takes that day and putting forth the, the very best that you can put forth on that day um, to, to make it happen. Um, so that's kind of, that kind of permeates uh, everything that we do. Um, and it's something that I, that I kind of come back to a lot. Um, and so that's just, you know, that's kind of the, the culture that I am aiming to build on the team. But, um, you know, what about those kids that aren't part of the team yet? Uh, and so, to sort of circle back to that question you asked really about, about growing the program, I also want the conversation surrounding our track and field program. To be one of excitement and enthusiasm and and fun, um, because kids talk to kids. You know, they talk to their friends. They talk in the hallways. They talk in the cl- in classes. Whatever they talk, they text. They're on social media. Whatever, and if the conversation that surrounds the track and field program is one of uh, "oh man, I am miserable," um, or "I'm so so <laughs> sore," or "I'm so tired." or I'm this, I hate track, I'm what, you know, then you're going to have a, it doesn't matter how many kids I talk to in the hallway. If the things that the kids on, on our team say about it do not make it enticing. Um, and so it's, you know, the championship mindset is a huge part of it, but also just, I, I, I want practice and meets to be fun for kids. I want them to leave feeling energized uh, rather than worn down, I want the the conversations that they have to be about how much fun they're having, or about something that happened at practice that was positive, uh, or about how they can tell that they're getting faster or more explosive because we track data all the time. Uh, I want it to be, you know, I want it to be positive conversations so that the culture also leaks out from our team and into. The conversations that are happening around our building, which will then in turn bring more kids into our program and allow more kids to to, to get better and to be a part of that um, and to hopefully have the opportunity to, uh, to to be a champion, whether it's a conference champion or a regional champion or a state champion, um, and to maybe even, as we talked about before, open some some doors for them that they might not have even known were there
1: that's one of the like we mentioned earlier that's one of the really cool things about track and field it just it provides that opportunity and with so many kids the perception of the program among other kids it means a ton and i've i've been pretty fortunate as a as a teacher to be in a couple different buildings where the track programs are really strong and that even though they're on these giant teams like they seem so close to each other and they seem to have like a ton of fun and you know and if you were a coach uh, you know going up to a kid in the hallways in one of those schools like it they've already heard about the track program probably long before you walk up to them and so they already have these preconceived notions about it so i think you're you're spot on if you can build that and have kids be really positive and enjoy their time there and have this champion as a mindset mindset <laughs> i think it's going to ultimately make the program better in the long run um Loved having you on, Tyler. I, you know, I appreciate the speed clinic that you put on uh, a while back. It's uh, it's how I kind of got introduced to you, and and I was able to take some things right away and help our baseball players get a little bit better a little bit faster, and I'm excited for that work to continue. Um, before I let you off, just want to hand the mic over to you one more time. I don't know if there's anything we missed or anything um, you have as far as advice goes for old coaches, young coaches, or, or humans or whatever, but just kind of hand the mic over to you <laughs> oh, one man. more time.
0: Uh, well, let me uh, wax philosophic here. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just um, – you know, at uh, I, I mentioned earlier that two of the other – Coaches on staff when I took over were um, were also assistants in our program who applied to to be the head coach, um, and one of them, uh, one of them who is our jumps coach, is an older guy. Um, and you know, a lot of the things that I uh, have started to implement look very different than the way that we've done things in our program in the past. And we were driving home after the state meet um, where we took six kids to state, which is the most kids we've taken in the last four years that I've been part of the program. Um, obviously I want to take a lot more than that in the future, but we took six kids to state meet and we're driving home and all the kids went home with their parents after. And so it was just me and him. And we got back to school and he said, coach, I just want to say thanks for a great season. I learned so much this year. And that meant a lot to me because, um, you know, he's, uh not quite twice my age but close to it um and he's been around this sport for longer than I've been alive um and and for him to say that he learned anything uh, uh let alone that he learned so much this year um was really uh, uh, really meant a lot to me and i think the the takeaway there is that if you are a coach or if you're a human, uh, th- then <laughs> you have to always be open and and eager to learn new things. Um, sometimes, you know, you might not think that you can learn something from somebody who's a lot younger than you. Or you might not think that you can learn something from somebody who's a lot older than you. Because it's like, what does this old guy have to say? Or, you know, you might, but you, you can learn something from almost anybody, uh, and from almost any experience. And I think, uh, you know, as people, we need to always be trying to learn something new and, and trying to grow. But as coaches, especially if you're not always trying to learn, um, then you're probably staying the same. And if you're staying the same, then you're getting worse because everybody around you is continuing to grow. Um, and so I just think that that, that mindset of, um, you know, what, like, I know that there's so much more for me to learn, you know, there are so many things that I don't know that I want to know, uh, as it relates to sports performance, you know, I'm constantly, you know, picking brains of, uh, of other coaches in areas that are not my expertise. Um, because if I want to be a better coach, which I do, You know, I hope that every year I'm a better coach than I was the year before, then I have to keep learning and I have to be able to recognize what are, what are the areas that I'm, that I'm weak in uh, or that I want to get better in and seek out those people and those resources and those opportunities to learn and grow. Um, So I think that would be my, my number one piece of advice to, to any, to any coach is just always. Be be willing to and eager to learn and, and seek out opportunities to learn because, you know, the day that you can't learn anything else uh, is probably the day that you should step away from coaching.
1: It's a, it's a really good lesson, too, especially coming from somebody who, like you mentioned, wanted the job that you ended up getting and decided to stay on anyway. It's it's a cool, it's a cool takeaway and cool lesson for people. And uh, I can, I can attest to the same thing. My wife kind of makes fun of me almost because we'll be, you know, laying in bed, watching the, a show or something, and she'll be like, "What are you doing on your phone?" And I'm like, "I'm i not just watching a video of a guy running faces." Like it's, I'm just trying to look. She's <laughs> like, "Don't you have enough?" Yeah, no, it just, just there might be yeah, something yeah. I get out of this. Who knows? So um, I can attest to it. It just yeah, and and you've been a huge part of that for other people too. And I don't want to understate that. Just it can always seem like we're in our own little world and we're just trying to learn for ourselves too. But what you've done for for the coaching community has has been pretty cool. Um, not just obviously the, the people that are on your staff, but for for people all across the country. And so that's kind of a cool deal too. So, um, again, thank you. I, I really appreciate it and, and loved having you on and, uh, I just keep getting after it. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. I had a great time. Thank you so much. Oh man. For those who just met him for the first time, Tyler's the kind of guy, as you can probably tell who just wants to help coaches and kids period no ego whatsoever. I urge you to reach out to him if you have any questions, because I'm not sure there's a person in the high school coaching world quite as willing to help out as he is. And that's saying something because we know a lot of coaches that are extremely helpful and willing to help out. I'd put Tyler right up there at the top. Like I mentioned at the start of the show, we have our next high school coaches club chat on Twitter, Tuesday, August 17th starts up at nine Eastern six Pacific. Be sure to jump in, connect with some amazing coaches, provide some valuable insights And pick up some nuggets you can implement into your program. If you aren't signed up for the weekly newsletter yet, do it. Get on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to get started. Don't forget to leave a rating or review if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts. That's a big one. But most importantly, if you have found any value at all from this episode or any previous episode, please share this on social media to your followers via email to your fellow coaches, or through the old-fashioned word of mouth. It doesn't matter how you do it, just find a way to bring a few more listeners in who might just benefit. That's how we all get better, and that's how we grow the club. Huge fist bump again to Tyler Germain for jumping on the call with me. And thanks, as always, to Netting Pros for sponsoring the episode and to you for clicking that play button. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. Follow the club on social media Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Max Price and can reach me via email max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. All right. That's it. That's all I've got. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.